We put our name on our sin, thereby we are accountable. When I was looking at WTA, I we did all the service schedule checklists, and guys used to just check them, check, 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 and something didn't get done right. I'd say, well, who is checked? So I said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to put our initials by every check. These pages, these, these checklists were seven pages long sometimes. And all these checks, and I want you to put your initials by each one of those. Because if it goes bad, you owned it. I want to know who didn't do what they're supposed to do. Or didn't service something properly. Or didn't check something accurately. I want your name on it, not Mr. Checked. I want your initials on it because I want you to be accountable and responsible for your work. It's part of being a professional mechanic, in my mind. So we did that. Didn't like it, but they did it. Same thing here. Confess our sin. We tell, we acknowledge that we sin. We we personalize that I did this. Not forgive my sins. No. Name them. Put your name by there. I think that that's our sin, and God forgives our sin. I think that's more personal to me. It is. Uh, I feel better if I name what I did. If you wait too long, the list gets real long, and then you have to kind of write stuff down. You know. Anyways. Um, so that that's, I don't know how I got off of that, but that's, God's a just God. The wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. That's what it says in verse number 6. Those who are disobedient both to the law of God, the gospel of Christ, who are unbelievers, who are Christ and God haters, who are rebellious, Christ deniers, who reject his call, who ignore his counsel and have none of his reproof. Those are disobedient and the wrath of God is going to come to them. That's what it says here in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. Verse 7, And which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. Bringing them back to the past a little bit again. In the which, the vices he listed in verse number 5, you lived in those. You did those. You walked in them sometime. He returns to their former lives as pagans, reminding them, you used to do these things. You lived in them, in fact. So Christ, uh, Paul, rather, is rebuking these Colossians that are falling back into things. They know better, but they're being persuaded by these outside influences, so to speak, these cults, these other uh, false teachers, to fall back into their old lifestyle, and some of them are doing it. And Paul's addressing, don't do that. Stay out of that. How? Well, here's this list. Do a few of those. Verse number 8, here's another list. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Put off all these. What he's talking about when he says put off, he's talking about changing your clothes. How many of you ever got really dirty, greasy, nasty? It was fun getting that way. But anyways, eventually you got to put those clothes off. you got to clean yourself. you got to put that off. That's what he's saying here. That, that's the example. Put off. Take those dirty garments off, okay? And he lists some things. Put off. 
Now this second catalog of vices in verse 8 names five, and these are sins of the tongue. The earlier list centered on immoral sins, but now he talks about emotions and speech. So there are actually, I guess, three of emotion and two of speech. Three sinful attitudes that erupt into two kinds of sinful speech. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Paul addresses people's sinful, self-centered anger directed at others. Welcome to today. That's all we've been hearing. People's sinful uh, anger directed at other people. There's always been some of that dirty politics, but now it's everything about everybody. It's everything. It's what you believe, what you think, what you love, anything. Someone's going to hate that, and thereby they're going to hate you for some reason. They build that up, and that anger and that malice starts to to take over. Ill will leads to a desire to harm others. We have all this racial tension and whatever else is out there. We're so divided now in this country. Everybody's against something. But rage leads to hatred from the flesh. Um, Look at Galatians chapter 5 for a second. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. In another book, Paul makes a, another list here. Galatians 5, verse number 19 through 21. But the works of the what? Flesh are manifest, which means they're displayed, they're openly visible, manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, reveling, and such like. You know, that's not a complete list. That was back then. There's more now. Man has not improved with age. You think we're evolving. No. Lickety split. The other direction sometimes far as morality goes and well as far as man's thinking goes looking for ways to sin so these five things in verse 8 refer to the anger and malice that leads to the disparagement or the besmirchment that's a word of other people's character we attack people people attack they people cut people down what they think or perceive they believe or what they are. Everybody wants a label these days. I got a label. It says, don't touch. You know? Leave me alone. Verse number nine. Lie not to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. Another thing to add to this list was lying. Don't lie to everyone. You put that off. Lying. It is a sin with the tongue, but has a different motivation. People desire to deceive people in order to get their way or to make themselves look better or different or whatever reason. 
There's no place for lying or deception among God's children. Christians should be characterized by truthfulness. In verse 5, we had to mortify or put to death sins of the flesh. In verse 8, put off various sinful practices. He mentioned here these, these five things, or eight, uh, six, including uh, lying. Verse number 9, line up one to another, seeing that ye have put off, that phrase again, put off. You put off the old self, the old man, the old nature. You put that off. Don't go back to that pile of dirty clothes and put them on. That's all I have to wear. No. Don't make an excuse for that. Stay away from them. Throw them away. Burn them. That old filthy wardrobe. Put on new clothes. The new man. What he's saying here. This describes the transformation in which the old old, um, sinful nature inherited by Adam has been completely removed. Romans 5, 12, I'll read it to you. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. That narrows it down. You don't have to look around and see who's a sinner. Everybody is. This sin nature has been completely removed, dead and buried, and replaced by a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17, read it last week. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things, the old man, the old nature, is passed away. Behold, all things are become new. This doesn't mean that we don't any longer face temptation. It means that the old sinful nature that used to be an internal force, like I said, now attacks us externally. It's still around. We have to watch out for it. But we have the power to resist that. We got a, we got a how-to list on how to resist outward attacks. We have our bodies, but there's a new person living there. Did you know that? Remember back in chapter one, I think it was verse thirteen or eighteen. We've got a new zip code now. We've been translated. Romans seven twenty-two. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. This new man, Paul says. Let's look at verse number 10. We have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. We should read this uh, word renewed as present tense. We weren't renewed and that's it. We are renewing. This is present tense. Renewing in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Because it's a process, isn't it? If everybody was renewed completely after they got saved, they wouldn't need to be a letter to the Colossian church. Or a lot of the other churches wouldn't need it. They were renewed. No, it's a process. We will be renewing until we get to heaven. It's not finished. It's a process. The only thing that stops it is us. We can hit the button, stop, pause, or whatever it is, and not go any further. But we need to be renewed in knowledge. How do we get, how do we renew in knowledge? Word of God. Our nature is made new, but we still must work and grow in the effects of this renewal. When you're a baby Christian, what do babies have to do? 
Yeah, they have to eat. Yeah. They have to get sustenance. They have to grow. If you don't feed them, bad things happen. Okay? So it's, it's a necessity that as a new Christian, babe in Christ, you need to grow. If you don't, you're, you're vulnerable. You're in a bad spot. Our spiritual growth is a time is a lifetime process. Second Corinthians four sixteen. I'll, I'll read that to you. For which cause we faint not, but through our outward, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. How often? Every day. It's a process. You wake up in the morning, you start into that renewing process. Okay. The outcome of this renewal takes place in knowledge after the image of Christ. In the image of him that created him. Image of Christ. Uh, look at Philippians 3.10. Just a few pages back to your left there. Philippians chapter 3 verse 10. Paul was talking a little bit about this renewing. Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Why? That I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, neither were already perfect, but I follow after uh, if that I may apprehend, understand that which also I am apprehended of Christ. He wanted to be closer to Jesus. He wanted to understand what Jesus went through. He wanted to experience that. He wanted to appreciate that. Verse 11. For there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. This is an interesting verse here. Let's break it down a little bit. It says where. Where is where? He's talking about Christians. He's talking about church. He's talking about Christians. He's talking about believers. The community of believers. Where is where? Where in the community of believe, uh, uh, believers, there is neither Greek nor Jew. There is neither circumcision or uncircumcision. There is neither Scythian or um, barbarian. There's neither bond nor free. Christ is all in all. In the community of Christ, everybody's the same. The ground at the cross is level. The community, the body of believers, renewed people, have a greater depth of unity among diverse people. Did you know that? This community of believers has a greater depth of unity among diverse people. Why? We got something in common. The meaning here is that we're all on the same level. There's no distinction of nature in church. We're all treated as brethren. Doesn't matter where you're from, what you look like, we're all brethren. And as such, there should be no, uh, no, no reason to be false to one another or to lie to one another. Everybody's the same. Uh, Ephesians 2.14, Paul says, this, in this relationship to Jews. Remember, there's always been two races, right? 
Jew and Gentile, circumcised and uncircumcised. That's how they designated them. That's still true today, by the way. But Ephesians 2.14, Paul says, For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. He's the both. He made Jews and Gentiles one. How did he do that? He broke down that middle wall of partition. He broke down that barrier. Gentiles were getting saved. Jews were saved. We're one. We're not a, necessarily a saved Gentile or a saved, we're a saved person. Okay? That group, those two groups are, are now one. Unfortunately, as Christ is tearing down barriers, the world is building them back up, aren't they? They want that division. They want that designation. They want those groups. They want to isolate those groups. They want to label them. They want to make them all victims, pretty much. So they are building up these barriers. But it wasn't supposed to be that way. So this verse, verse 11, kind of is organized in a series of um, kind of opposing pairs. Let's, let's, let's look at it here. It begins with a basic Bible distinction, Jew or Gentile, which we just talked about. Okay, so in Christ, all prior religions and boundaries have disappeared. They've been forged into one people. That's Christian. The next two pairs, Barbarian and Scythian, refers to those nations or tribes that did not speak Greek. If you didn't speak Greek, you were a barbarian. Okay? As they thought back then. The Scythians were descended from a, from a group of tribes from... Well, they were north of the Black Sea and were considered the lowest form of bar barbarians. So they were made slaves. There's a lot of slavery back then. Paul doesn't address the slavery. That's, that's was life back then. But there were some slaves that, under, that underwent some, some, some severe treatment. Scythians were one of them. They were considered the lowest form. And there's a natural implied connection with bond and free. You were either back then you were free or you were bought. You were a slave or you were a servant. You were someone's property. So Paul emphasizes here that the slave and the master belong to the same family. We're going to see that in Philemon. We're going to look at Philemon right after we finish Colossians. We're going to study Philemon. We're going to see that. Okay? There's no such thing as inferiority or superiority in God's family. All are one in Christ. So this section ends by affirming the foundation that, uh, for everything Paul has said, that Christ is all and in all. The unifying power is Christ himself. He is the answer to racism and all this stuff. He's the unifier. Why man wants to separate everybody and have these different groups and labels, Christ isn't in that. God's not in that. He's a unifier. He died for everyone. He didn't put a label there. He didn't leave anybody out. He's inclusive. 1 Corinthians 15, 28. 
and when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put things put all things under his control, that God may be all in and in all. Ephesians 1, 22, 23. And he hath put all things under his feet, Christ do, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, talking about Christ, and the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Verse number 12 and the 14, we're talking about clothing yourself with Christian virtue. We looked at all these vice lists. Now he's going to give us the virtue list. Instead of these vices, replace them with this. Verse 12. Put on, therefore. We put off the old man, the old dirty clothes. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. Now I'm going to go a little bit further here and take a little side trip. We're putting on the new man. Talking about spiritual growth. Don't get hung up on this elect of God. That word scares everybody. We went when I did the book of Romans, we went through a long explanation of election. Elect means to choose. Exactly right. Choose. The word elect means choice. God does not choose who will or who will not be saved. God chose, elected. Who did God choose? Whosoever will. Romans 3.13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever will. God has predetermined that those who respond to his call will be justified. That's what he predetermined. This is going to be the method. That's the predetermination. It isn't the who, it's the what. It's the message. It's the way. And then whosoever will, following this way, will be justified, will be saved. The, the, the devil, God says, for whosoever will, the devil says, for whosoever won't, is mine. John 3, 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. God didn't elect people to go to heaven or hell. We learned this in Romans. God made some choices. And they were for service, not for salvation. God chose Abraham over everybody else in the world. God knows the future. God knows what Abraham was going to do. That's why he chose Abraham for service. God chose Isaac over Ishmael. Isaac was the son of promise. What's God looking for from the foundation of the world? What's he looking for? What was he planning for? Jesus. He was planning for Christ being born. So all of his lineage had to be intact. He wasn't going to put Esau in there. He made some comments about Esau. He wasn't the right guy. Jacob was. He chose Jacob for service. Did that save Jacob? No, he had to get saved like everybody else did. He had to trust in what Christ was going to do. 
just like every other Old Testament person, what Christ was going to do. We look back and see what he did. They had a faith in what he was going to do. So they had to get saved like everybody else did. But if his plan was to provide a Savior, it had to have an intact lineage. couldn't be broken. couldn't be uh, disrupted or corrupted. So Jesus dying on a cross wasn't God's plan B because man fell into sin. Some people say that. Oh, God had to send Jesus because man fell. No. Jesus dying on the cross was God's plan A because God knew man was going to sin. He knew the future. V.L. Moody explained election this way. It's kind of good. He said, God chose me for himself, but the devil also chose me for himself. My choice is the tiebreaker. Isn't that good? Okay. I made the choice to get saved. God wanted me. The devil wanted me. I was the tiebreaker. My decision is what was the final decision. Okay? That's great. So he says here in verse number 12, Put on, therefore, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, feeling of kindness and compassion, kindness, kind and merciful to others, humbleness of mind. These are things we can put on. Uh, mercy and kindness through the attitude of servanthood, all these things. Uh, meekness, the, the, uh, derived from the idea of being made lowly. Don't confuse meekness with weakness. Moses was meek. Jesus was meeker. He's the example of meekness. Long-suffering, patience, forbearance exemplified by God in Jesus, enduring spiritual weakness of others as they grow alongside us. Don't get impatient with junior Christians, with, with young Christians. They've got a way to go yet. We need to encourage them, move alongside them, and help them. They're weak. They don't know. You don't have a kid the next day they're going in there for their driver's license. It takes a while to get there. Young Christian babes in Christ, it takes a while to grow. I remember when I was a babe in Christ, I still had a bad mouth. I stopped when I said a bad word in front of one of the church nice ladies. And that, that caught me real fast. Oh, I didn't. That was wrong. I, was, I crawled out of there under the rug. They saw this lump going towards the door. <laughs> I wonder who that is. Go ahead and kick me, you know. Uh, I stopped. I thought about what I was going to say from now on. Because I had a GI mouth for a while. That's not quite as bad as a Navy mouth. <laughs> I just talk like a sailor. That's for sure. Those guys are bad. So we'll stop here. We'll pick up in verse 13 next week when we learn how to forbear one another, forgiving one another. These are things we can add to our list. I'll add some more things during this week. I've got to verse 16 so far, but just looking at the rest of this chapter, there's more things we can do, more how-to things, how we can grow and be closer to Christ. Pray. Father, thank the Lord Jesus for this time, Lord. Thank you for this lesson, Father. I pray, God, you bless church services to follow, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.